Well, it's good to be here again. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, as I begin, I wanted to ask a question. Have you been afflicted before? As in, have you, have you been in serious pain before? Was it deep? How painful was this affliction? Did it feel like it was never-ending? Maybe you're currently still afflicted in your job, maybe physically, maybe your family life, or you feel intense loneliness. How many times have you seen someone try to earnestly earn a living and do what is right, and then someone, maybe a client, a customer, or co-worker, did something and dragged them and their name through the mud? Or perhaps you or someone you know has or had a strained family relationship. And so the place you're meant to feel security and joy is in fact a place with deep affliction. Because the closest to us can hurt us like no other can. Or you might feel really lonely as you're wading through the busyness of life. You have plenty of acquaintances, but people don't really know you. Friends, this, this psalm today acknowledges that affliction is a real part of life for God's people. The psalmist himself is deeply afflicted, and it's such intense affliction that it almost seems unrelatable. But thankfully, this actually also means we can take this psalm and see how we ought to relate to God even as we're afflicted. Affliction is really serious because it can mean we lose sight of God and lose trust in God, making it hard to put our trust in God and praise Him. Now, to help set the scene uh, with this psalm, there's a bit of groundwork to cover with the context. I'll just go to the next slide, thanks. Firstly, uh, bad news, we have no idea who wrote it, so the author's complete and total mystery. Uh, and the time this psalm, this psalm was written uh, needs a bit of an educated guess. There are some clues, like the psalmist saying in verse 13, it is time to show favor to her, as in Zion. The appointed time has come. Uh, that's probably referring to some of the promises that God gave to the Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah and Daniel uh, about returning Israel from exile. So it probably means that this psalm was written when Israel was in exile. Uh, but the last one is a bit more of a peculiar detail. Today's psalm is what's referred to as a penitential psalm. So maybe it's worth thinking of the word Penitence, like uh, when sorrow and regret are expressed. Or they're sometimes also referred to as psalms of confession. Now, these penitential psalms were more like fitting prayers for the repentant sinner, which seems odd considering no sins were really referred to at all uh, in this Bible reading just earlier. So what did the psalmist even do wrong? But if the psalm was actually written during exile, it makes a ton of sense because for Israel to have been in exile means that they knew that they had committed grave sins. And it was probably idolatry because continuous idolatry was what Israel got exiled for. 
as they feel the suffering and discipline associated with sin. But this is probably one person lamenting on behalf of others, uh, as others felt like they were also rejected by God and that the promises given to them by the prophets were in doubt. So that's what's going on in today's passage. Now, getting into today's psalm, the writer talks about his total affliction, crying out to God at the start and not asking God to hide his face. He wants to be heard by God. But the core of where we see his affliction starts in verses 3 to 7. Next slide, thanks. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forgot to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. So straight away, the psalmist's reason for asking God to hear his prayer is clear. He's in serious anguish. His days vanish like smoke. His bones burn. His heart is blighted, withering like grass. He forgets to eat his food, and he groans in distress, distress, being reduced to skin and bone. So not only is he reminded of how temporary life is, as we all know, he's also talking about how physically he's going really poorly. But as we go through the next two verses, we see that it's not just a physical affliction affecting the psalmist, because he mentions that he's like a desert owl among the ruins, lying awake, becoming like a bird alone on a roof. And so he's completely alone. His affliction is also personal. It's not just affecting how he physically feels. But the nail in the coffin comes in the next few verses, which tells us how he's going spiritually. And it doesn't sound good. Uh, Next slide, thanks. Verse 8 to 11. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Because his enemies taunt him, which is even worse when you remember that he said he feels completely alone. They also use his name as a curse. Now, quickly, it's, it's a little odd for us to understand this because it works better in Hebrew. A Hebrew, carries a, a Hebrew name sorry, carry a lot of meaning to them. And sometimes the cursing of the name is done by shortening the name, changing the meaning completely. Now, being in Australia, this sounds kind of weird uh, because we shorten names all the time. Like your pastor's name is Joshua, but most people call him Josh. Who's Joshua? Who's Joshua Tan? It's Josh Tan, right? But that's how names can be used as a curse in Hebrew. Then, in the following verses, we see that the psalmist can't even enjoy the basic joys of life with his food and drink. They're mixed with ashes and tears. And here's the reason, because of God's great wrath. 
And so just in these opening passages, we see just how bad his affliction is. It's physical, personal, and spiritual. The psalmist's affliction is total. And the psalmist reminds us again how aware he is of how temporary life is in verse 11. If anyone has a reason to feel like rubbish, it's this psalmist. And if anyone should find it really difficult to praise God, it's this psalmist. It sounds like nothing's going right for him at all. And if he feels like he's not being heard by God right now in his time of need, I can only imagine that he'd be losing all forms of hope. Uh, to be honest, this kind of reminds me of a couple years ago when I uh, broke my leg. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, the physical difficulty just made life really hard. Uh, losing my ability to walk for six months was not fun. Not only could I not walk, but I also couldn't, I couldn't go to Bible college. I couldn't see my friends. I couldn't go to church. Uh, I could sit in bed and watch YouTube or Netflix, and that's about it. And I've always been a guy that's felt useful because I'd be able to help my loved ones uh, do things. Uh, my broken leg affected how I felt in everything. Studies, friendship, and honestly, also my relationship with God. That took a hit too. And so one time, things had gotten even more difficult uh, because I felt really guilty for being unable to help my family when the home got flooded. Uh, it got so bad that I, I emotionally broke down and cried out to God to hear me, to tell him how I felt in my pain because I was losing hope and I needed for him to hear me. And maybe you've gone through something similar too where life was just so difficult that you needed to cry out to God that you desperately wanted Him to hear you. Uh, just on to the next slide, thanks. Now, remember that this psalmist, he's been going through a really tough time. Uh, he's been afflicted physically, personally, and spiritually. Uh, there's not much more that can be said about his affliction, but that speaks a lot about the fact that, brings it to, that he brings it to God in prayer, doesn't it? Now, brothers and sisters, there's nothing too big, too serious, too difficult to bring to God in prayer. There's nothing that God is unwilling to hear from his people, his followers, his children. Jesus' death on the cross meant that we're able to come boldly to God in prayer. In fact, it's something that Paul encourages in the New Testament. Uh, Philippians verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If you belong to Jesus, God takes all your prayers seriously. Even laments like what we see in today's psalm, especially these ones. 
please never, ever be afraid to take these prayers to God. Because, well, all the prayers we bring, especially the big ones, that speaks volumes about how much we praise our Lord, doesn't it? About how we view His ability, His willingness to handle our prayers. So maybe things have been hard because of family life, work, friendships, or they've been really hard. You can bring that to God in prayer. All affliction or hardship can be brought to God and He will hear you. Praise God that He does hear us. And the psalmist's attitude is one that we can really look to, not only because He brings His affliction to God in prayer, but because He Also, he's praising God even in his affliction. The psalmist has talked about his affliction and mentioned how his days are numbered, knowing that he won't be around forever. And then he switches gears. But you, Lord, we hear that word, but, and we know there's a change in the topic and focus. Uh, The psalmist says, Lord, things are terrible for me right now, so you are able, you are my deliverance. So what does he say? Let's have a look at verse 12 to 7. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants... Hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion, he appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. God, you are on the throne forever. You will have compassion on Zion as she is precious to you. The nations will fear your name and he will respond to the prayer of the destitute. See, compared to the psalmist, to you and me, God lives on forever as, he does, as does his fame and rule. The psalmist hopes that God's compassion will happen in the appointed time And this has often been seen as a clue that this psalm was written during the exile. If it's true, then what's happening here is probably that the psalmist prays and hopes that God will act to save his people out of the exile. So even from just these six verses, we see that even with everything going pear-shaped for the psalmist, it hasn't affected his praise for God. What an example set for us here. And it's in the next few verses we see the psalmist's reflection on Israel's future. So just the next slide, thanks. Verses 18 to 22. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked at the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who are doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord, and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. 
Can you hear how eager the psalmist is? Have you ever been so eager to see the fulfillment of promises? His eagerness here just speaks volumes of the hope he has. He says not only has God not abandoned Zion, but write this down for generations to come, that not only will Israel return to their land, but people from all nations will be present. Aren't these just amazing statements of faith? And when he's in such great difficulty too. Can you declare your faith during trying times and praise God? Now, to illustrate this part of the passage, uh, I wanted to tell you a story about a guy I met. I'm going to call him uh, Mike. Just onto the next slide, thanks. Uh, I met Mike in 2014 at a camp in Sydney. Um, him and I shared a dorm. Um, because I'm a little annoying, we got to talking quite a lot. Uh, Mike told me that he was a medical student and one thing led to another. Uh, Mike ended up telling me that he was at a crossroad with his faith. Mike struggled because many of the medical issues he saw as a med student led him to question how these are things within God's plan. And I'm sad to say that Mike is currently doesn't call himself a Christian. See, what's sad about situations like this is that I know other Christian uh, med students or doctors who shared the same opinion as Mike, but they chose to go to God to continue trusting in him. Now, I know it might sound like I think I know how people should be viewing issues such as, uh, such as these. Uh, but what I think is important to raise is that in trying times, we have two options before us. Do we choose to continue doubting, or instead, do we choose to go to God in prayer and praise? I think it's really important for us to discuss, because we want to consider this. Let's keep in mind that the psalmist showed incredible faith praising God during his serious affliction. What's interesting is that the psalmist acknowledges that the problem he's facing is because of God's indignation, which really fits with the whole penitential psalm thing. Next slide, thanks. But what's more important to ask is when you have a sense of what's happening in your life is happening because our sovereign God allowed it to happen. Does that cause you to go to him? Or does it cause you to run away from him? Do you end up praising God in your trouble or running in the opposite direction? I think if all of us were being honest, it probably causes us to run the other way. Problems cause us to retreat from God instead of praising him. But the psalmist is such a great example for us because while he recognizes God's indignation, the psalmist goes to him in faith, believing that there's mercy to be found. The psalmist says, even though it's really tough right now with what I'm going through, you're still in control. And isn't that just so important for us to be remembering and saying to one another, as an encouragement to all of you here as well, it's also something that Jesus encouraged people 
by telling them that he was someone that they could run to. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We need to be saying, dear friend, yeah, what you're going through sounds tough, but God is still on the throne. Saying this sort of thing to remind and encourage one another and pushing each other toward praising God. Run to God, in, even in affliction, to continue praising Him. Lastly, we then get to the end section of our psalm. The writer gives us great confidence to continue praising God even through affliction. He prays that the God whose years endure throughout all generations would preserve the life of His faithful people so that they may see a wonderful future living in His presence. Just the next slide, thanks. Verses 23 to 28. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has, take, he has shortened my days. O oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Straight back to talking about grief and trouble, this is what the psalmist does in verse 23. This isn't the first time he's talked about how, how brief life is. He knows that his existence is transitory when compared with God's incredible work of creation and with the Lord himself and the certainty of his promises. But he strongly believes that only God can cut short his ordeal. Yet in verse 26, even, the, even though the psalmist knows that everything, including the foundations of the earth and the heavens, will perish he knows that God will remain forever. And in verse 27, also points out that he will remain the same forever. He remains the same and doesn't change at all over the years. And he is the creator who remains forever. And being the God who remains forever, our futures as his children are tied with God himself and his promises. Isn't it so praiseworthy that we can have confidence in God's care for his people? That we can have confidence in God and his unchanging, reliable nature. Uh, just onto the next slide, should be a blank one. Uh, it's it's kind of just like those uh, reliable, consistent people you can put your trust and confidence in. Now, I used to work in a, in a cafe in the city and we had lots of different employees. Uh, there was one time I was talking to one of my colleagues. They pointed out how reliable of an employee 
a new coworker was. Uh, we knew that this new coworker would always come to work full of energy with a smile, ready to work hard, and they were really welcome qualities. Uh, she was always going to be the same in that, in that regard. And it's people like this that we know we can trust, that we can rely on. I can only imagine how she'd be uh, perceived if she came to work uh, half asleep uh, a few days of the week or if her mood was inconsistent all the time. Thankfully, and somehow, she was always energetic, smiling, and worked hard. We knew we could rely on her and trust her that she'd always be the same. Friends, how much more is God like this? Just like how the psalmist pointed out that God not only remains forever, but he remains the same forever. And that's really good news for all of us. Next slide. It's good news for all, for all of us because we can always be confident that God is going to be the same, unchanging, unwavering, that he doesn't just change his mind on a whim. And so we can confidently trust and praise God, especially since God promised that he would rescue his people. In this psalm, the author does refer to God's promise to do just that. And so because we know that God fulfills his promises and is unchanging, we know that he will, he'll fulfill all other promises he's made. And thank the Lord that he promised through his word that anyone who belongs to his son Jesus will have their sins forgiven, be made righteous in his eyes, and be given life eternal with him. Can you imagine what it would be like if God just decided to change his mind randomly on some things? How would you even know that you have salvation? But no, God doesn't just change his mind on things, and he doesn't just give up on his people. The constancy and faithfulness of God is a certain reality. Meanwhile, even what we would consider the stable earth, that's going to perish according to this psalm too, let alone what we read in other parts of the Bible. But what's even more permanent and immovable is God himself, friends. God showed his devotion to his promises when he sent the Messiah, his son, to restore humanity to himself. He has done this time and time again when he rescued his people out of Egypt, when he restored his people from exile under Cyrus. And thankfully, that means that people from any time, anywhere, any background, any walk of life can put their hope and praise in Jesus, who, as Hebrews 4 says, is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. That's how important and good it is that God remains the same forever. Well, brothers and sisters, to wrap up our time in Psalm 102, uh, we can't finish without talking about affliction and how it affects our praises to God. Uh, next slide, please. Firstly, the psalmist uh, 
his first lament in the first section spoke about his total affliction. Our friend the psalmist was suffering from total affliction as he suffered physically, emotionally, physically, uh, spiritually, sorry. And this actually gives us great encouragement still to still bring all affliction to God. Next, the psalmist which switches gears with a resounding word. But, and then he praises God even while completely afflicted. And so we're left asking the question, does affliction cause us to run to God or run away from God? And from the psalmist's example, we can see that all of our afflictions can be brought to our loving Father, something very worth doing as we praise God. And lastly, in our final section, the psalmist gives us great confidence to continue praising God even through great affliction, as he touches on God's everlasting and unchanging nature. Something that we can be really glad about because it means we can completely trust and rely on God as people who praise Him. Even though affliction is something that hits us hard, we're able to bring things to God in prayer. In fact, we're, we're called to. After all, we have a Savior who died on the cross to make it possible to bring these afflictions to God, who also willingly handles our burdens and always will. Friends, affliction isn't an easy thing to talk about for many reasons. We don't know, we don't know how to. The fact that there are tons of ways to work through affliction, and we don't want to risk causing more damage. But what the psalmist longed for has been experienced in time, as the faithful servants of God have testified. But as long as God's servants suffer, this psalm is appropriate for all who long for the eternity we have with God, regardless of who you are, where you're from, and what problems you're facing. Let me pray. Father, you are a God who willingly hears our cries for your comfort and are a God who cares so much for people like us, even when we fail you time and time again. So very often we find life difficult and feel the pain of living in a world affected by sin, whether that's sin caused uh, by ourselves or others. For whatever reason, we, we fail. Um, we often fail to bring our struggles to you, whether that's because we're forgetful, we're complacent, or we simply misunderstand your ability and your willingness. But Father, thank you that you are willing to take on our afflictions and thank you that you have a better future in store for us, one that is better than what's here. Please help us, Father, when life becomes difficult to run toward you like the psalmist has, to not turn away from you when everything becomes difficult. Please also grow us, Father, that we might have an unwavering confidence in you 
and of the great reality of eternal life you have in store for your people. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.